in Matthew chapter 11, when Jesus spoke of His yoke being easy and His burden light, I don't think He was speaking in a simple vacuum that all the commands that God would give His children are easy. But I feel like His yoke is easy and His burden is light when we recognize that it's about being saved in Jesus Christ and not trying to save ourselves by our own might and our own good works and seeking to try to find forgiveness somehow for our sins in some other manner. So when we recognize that His yoke is easy and His burden is light, it comes from a recognition that we can't do it ourselves. So we look to doing it by the power, by the strength in which He supplies, it can become easy. The yoke can be easy. The burden can be light. And the reality becomes many of the things that God commands us to do are hard things. And we do struggle to do these things, especially when we try to do it by our own might. But if we can learn to lean on Him, to come humbly before Him and seek the power, the strength in which He supplies, then we can do it. We can do it. One of these examples is in Isaiah chapter 55 of something that God has commanded or has told His people that can be very difficult. It says in verse 6 and 7, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts to forsake his way his thoughts let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon this is hard God telling us to forsake or to give up our way and our thoughts we like I like the way that I would do things and I like the way that I would think that's comfortable it comes Naturally, I, I can be quite impressed with my own thoughts at times. And even considering a passage like this, man would have a tendency to, to say, wicked, unrighteous? I, I feel like my way is a good way. And my thoughts are, are, are good. Surely God is not speaking to me. Surely I'm not wicked and unrighteous. He must be talking about or, or referencing somebody else but the point when we look at the passage carefully and and ponder it God's point is not simply that if I'm wicked or unrighteous I need to give up my way and thoughts the point is that if I am following my way if I'm following my way and my thoughts I am wicked I, I am unrighteous and I need to give it up I need to give up my way and give up my thoughts. And because we live in a, in a culture and a society where there's this tolerance and this coexistence as if all ways and even thoughts, I guess you could say, are somehow equally valid, this is a hard teaching. It's a hard teaching for many people to even listen to or consider. And which brings us to one of the main points today in this time that we would consider God's way and that it works, that it's better, right? But the first point is that God's way, it's different. 
So we read in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And so when these thoughts of mine permeate to the, to the tip of my tongue and come upon my lips, I need to be careful, right? This thought originated with me. It's not God's thoughts or, or these plans that I may create or these ways that they originated with me. They're not God's ways. And if I start to try to justify some of these ways or thoughts by things as such, well, well surely God would not be, you know, surely he would approve of this. Or surely he would be pleased with this. Uh, if I justify that way, I'm, I'm walking on very thin ice and there, and there may be no ice there. I may be in the water in danger of drowning in my own ignorance. You must be careful. God's way is different. And my thoughts, my ways are not his. The second reason is because God's way is better. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And as we learn in Proverbs, our way leads to death. God's way to life. And so his way is better than ours in that sense. But our way, it's natural and it's comfortable, so it's easy for us to, to hold on to. And of course, we have a tendency to hold on to that. So that's where we have to bring to our, our mind, bring to ourselves the fact that, yes, it's different, but it's better. And we have to learn to trust and remind ourselves that it is a better way, that it leads to life, and no other way leads to life eternal. And reason number three, I believe God gives us at least three reasons, but we'll just consider these three, is because God's way works. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. God's word will do what he sends it out to do. It will accomplish the purpose in which he sent it out to accomplish. And let's face it, when we consider the effect or the ultimate result of our own ways, then what we typically, and maybe not even this much success, but there's some type of maybe momentary escape or success or pleasure but what's it followed by? That empty feeling of worthlessness. We had some type of pursuit or, or way that was of ourselves, and we thought it might bring some lasting happiness, some fulfillment, right? Some sense of purpose in our lives. And it may have felt that way for a period, but that sense of worthlessness, it came at some point, and it always will unless we are following God's way. God's way is the only way that is different and has a different result. It's the only thing that can complete and fulfill us. So we consider that his way is different. His way is better. His way is works. We have to trust that. So the last point is, it comes also from Isaiah 55, just tacking on to the fact that God's way works but to see just the power of his way when we were formerly, and this is in verses 12 and 13, when we were formerly thorns and briars, 
the watering of, of God's word, it can transform us, as the text says, into cypress and myrtle. Absorb that. Think about that. Only God's word, only God's way can transform us from briars and thorns into cypress and myrtle. We must trust it. So with this upon our minds, come with me to Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower. Looking at these few verses here, verses 3 through 8, the first thing I'd like to point out is that this is not a normal farmer. A normal farmer would not act the way that this farmer does in Jesus' story. I mean, would a normal farmer purposefully waste seed? I mean, of course not. When we think of a farmer dropping seeds in the middle of the road, we would think of somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. You would maybe look at me, the city boy, and, and laugh at me. What's he doing? That's not going to produce any fruit. It's not going to produce anything that's going to help him make a living or, or feed his family, right? But yet, that's what we see the farmer here doing, right? Just dropping seed in the middle of the road. We see him dropping seed in some stony soil or, or the weedy soil. We see him dropping seed everywhere. And we have to recognize that that's pretty crazy in regard to what a farmer would do. A farmer would, if there were stones in the field, it would remove the stones, right? The farmer would see the weeds and cultivate the field. If, if the earth was packed tight, the farmer would till it up and break it up. The farmer would cultivate the field, prepare the soil, and then plant the seed, of course, so that it could grow and produce. That's what a normal farmer would do. So we have to ask the question, why would Jesus tell the story of such a crazy farmer to people that would have known that this farmer was acting crazy? And of course, the answer is obvious to those who have studied it. We know that he's not talking about literal seeds. He's talking about the word of God. He's not talking about literal soil. He's talking about souls. And so if we're talking about seed, then literally the farmer could look out. He could see that this is the road. I'm not going to plant here. This is stony. This is weedy. The, the farmer could literally see those things. Obviously, with us and souls, we can't see that. We just have to cast the seed and we'll see what happens from there. That's the only way we're going to know what type of soil, so to speak, that we've cast it into. But that's where I bring back the points that we've previously made. Remember, yes, God's way is different, but God's way is better. God's way works. And so now I come to what I really want us to, to consider this morning. And this is in regard to evangelism. And I feel like I have failed to trust God's way entirely up to this point in my discipleship of Jesus. I feel like I've given, you know, maybe too much mental space, too much thought, maybe too much attention uh, to the cultivating of, of soil, right? To try to prepare the soil and the field and, and figure out when the right time to drop that seed in is. But that's not what Jesus teaches. That's not what Jesus teaches. So let me make the point in a different way. I have some questions to ask you. I think the first one's pretty easy, but they get increasingly more difficult. And maybe I can, uh, maybe I can stump you here. So let's finish the following statement. People won't care how much you know until they 
and fill in the blank. People won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You may or may not have heard that before. Question number two, where was Jesus when he made the above statement? Question number three, who was Jesus talking to when he made the above statement? Or question number four, to which congregation or evangelist was Paul writing when he quoted the above statement? And then finally, last question. Question number five, do you know why you don't know the answers to questions two through four? And that's, of course, because Jesus didn't say it. And, and Paul did not quote it. And yet I think that this principle has, has maybe been a stumbling block for me as far as completely fully 100% trusting in God's way as far as sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with others. So before we advance, don't misunderstand me, all right? Of course we care about people. Of course I care about people. I wouldn't evangelize. We wouldn't evangelize if we did not care about people, all right? But this point right here is paramount. We're nice, that's what Christians do. We love people, but we don't love people because that's the way to get to share the gospel with people. That's, that's almost manipulative. We love people because of what Jesus Christ has done for us and the example that he's put forth in loving others. We want to exude that and emulate in our lives because we have that love that manifests in our heart and it's gonna carry forth through our lips and our hands and our feet. That's why we love people. It's not a method of trying to be successful in evangelism. But when we get that wrong, we're not doing it God's way. And God's way, yes, it's different. But it's better and it works. And I, we, must trust it entirely. So think about this. When did God most demonstrate his love for people? Was it when he fed them? Was it when he healed them? Was it when he casted out demons from them? Or was it when he went to the cross for them? Well, obviously it's the last one. But now put that back to us. When do we most demonstrate our love for people? Is it when we feed them? Is it when we clothe them? Or is it when we hug them? Is it when we give them a shoulder to cry on, or is it when we share the gospel of Jesus on the cross with them? <clears throat> again, it's the last one. But don't misunderstand me again. I'm very familiar with Matthew chapter 25. If there's someone in need of food, and I have food, I'm going to give it to them. We should give it to them. right? If there's someone that needs clothes, that needs to be warm and I can provide, I'm going to provide. We should provide for them in that sense. If there's someone that needs a hug, that needs that physical touch, if there's someone that needs a shoulder to cry on, then we would do that for them, right? But we cannot allow those things to distract us or to become an excuse for not addressing what all people need and what people need the most, which is the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to share it with them. So that, that begs the question, of course, though, well, well, how? How do we share that? And of course, this is not 
going to go off into one of these things you might expect, but I've got some suggestions that I feel like will encourage and help us take those steps and, and start to, to work on getting a little bit better at this, or at least myself. So first off, let me get this out of the way. We don't need to be jerks about it, right? God's given us some specific instructions such as being wise as serpents while being innocent as doves. Paul tells us we need to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, letting our speech be gracious. So I'm probably not going to start a conversation off with, you know, you're going to hell, right? <laughs> That's probably not going to be uh, very effective. It's probably a dumb way to sow the seed. So yeah, I'm going to be the, I need to be the crazy farmer that's casting the seed everywhere. But I don't need to be a jerk. I need to follow the instructions within the scriptures in going about this in a way that can be effective. God's way works. I think we also need to understand that evangelism, trying to share the gospel with others, it's, a, it's an art like so many things are. And we, we're going to improve with intentional practice and experience. So we're going to recognize that it's something we're going to get better at if we practice it intentionally and if we gain experience by staying committed to it. And that's where my first suggestion comes. So in looking at these suggestions, the first one is just to stay grounded in God's way, right? To not be pulled aside by those worldly pieces of saying or wisdom such as people won't know how much you care, people won't know that you care, or whatever the saying is, good, I don't remember it anymore, I don't need it. But yeah, we've got to stay committed to God's way. That's what works. We can't be pulled aside by different things that we may hear or strategies or some book written by man, but just keep coming back to God's way. All right. We know that there's going to be a lot of defeat and a lot of failure, and we'll discuss that in the final suggestion. But we have to look at this like I am committed for the long haul and then intentionally practice it every day so that I can gain the experience. So what I would say is, hey, start where you're most comfortable. Start with the people you're most comfortable with. Start in the places where you're most comfortable. And just get used to practicing it with intentionality every day. And just practice and gain experience. And then that's where number two comes in. Pray for boldness and courage. If you pray for it, and not just on your pillow at night, not just when I'm about to fall asleep, but throughout the day, praying for the boldness, praying for the courage, and then performing the acts of courage and being bold, and we'll grow in that as well. But if we don't pray, and if we don't do, it won't happen. So we've got to pray. We've got to do. And then number three, not allowing ourselves to be distracted by other pursuits of this world. I, there's going to be other pursuits, other things, but they have to be in addition to. We can't allow them to supersede or to drown out this priority. This must, be, this must come first. Fourth, treat it like learning a new language. I was thinking about this, and um, I think the analogy works. You know, you got to study a new language. Well, we have to study the Word of God. We've got to get into it. And then just like we would a, a new language, we're going to start with that which would be uh, practical. You know, things that we can use in different places and that we're going to kind of get out there and we'll feel really uncomfortable at first. 
like me if I was trying to speak Spanish up here, knowing that's not something I do, but, you know, but things that are practical. Donde este el baño, you know, where's the bathroom? If you go out among Spanish speakers, and at some point you're going to need to know where the bathroom is, so I'm going to learn that. So in terms of evangelism, though, that may be thinking about your conversion story. Uh, Jesus at one point had told a man that he had cast the demons out from to go and tell the people what, God, what Jesus had done for him and the mercy that he had shown. And we can all do that. We can practice, think about, okay, what has Jesus done for me? The, the mercy, the transformation. I can, I can practice and I can start to tell people I'm comfortable with, right, in, in places that I'm comfortable. And as I pray for courage and boldness, I can just take those steps, right? Start in the shallow end and just take those steps. And with that intentional practice and experience, I will become more bold. I will become more courageous. And I will begin to speak it and live it to where people can see that light. All right? But none of that will matter unless we don't consider the next point. Because Satan is very good at what he does. He's powerful. And so we must never be defeated. He's going to try to discourage us. He's very good at discouraging us. But think about it. If we've made a commitment, then we're all in today, tomorrow, and forever. Don't be confused by those teenage athletes that make a commitment and then they, they decommit because their team is not playing well. That's not, they didn't make a commitment if they decommit just a period. A commitment means you're not going to decommit. A commitment means today, tomorrow, forever, I'm all in. So if suggestion number one, if I've truly made a commitment, then Satan is not going to over. I mean, of course we're going to face defeat, right? There are wayside souls that will not accept the gospel. That will not. So yeah, we'll be defeated. But as Maya Angelou said, we must never be defeated. We will face defeat, but we must never be defeated, right? And that's a matter of heart and mind. And we've got to stay with that. We make the long-term commitment. We work with it with intentionality. We gain the experience. God is involved in this process through prayer, and he's walking with us in this pursuit. If we'll bring you know, the same type of strategy as learning the new language, I know that we can grow in it and become more capable. All right? So, yes, God's way, it's better, it works, it's different. But as I, I start to bring this to a, a conclusion, I want us to kind of think about some things that kind of maybe at times we might stumble over. All right? With evangelism, if we have some people that accept the gospel but yet come upon the thorns, right? And then they end up abandoning it later. That doesn't mean that we're evangelizing wrongly, right? If, if we baptize somebody or we baptize some people and they later abandon the faith, or if we baptize somebody or baptize some people and they don't bear any fruit, it doesn't mean that we're evangelizing wrongly. Trust God's way. Right? It's, it's different. It, it, it's better. It, it works. We're evangelizing wrongly if the seed stays in the satchel. Right? If we're afraid to cast the seed, 
because of what may happen, right? Or because we don't think that the soil is good, that's the problem. We're the problem at that point. That's evangelizing wrongly. So we must go back to God's way. The crazy farmer casting the seed everywhere. That's got to be us. So as we conclude this, let's go to God's plan of salvation and consider this is God's plan. His way. Not our own. So when I go to God's plan, these are the things I see. You have to listen, right? Hear the gospel, but listen and upon some understanding or recognition, we, we have a realization, I need a savior. I'm wretched. I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. The yoke is heavy. The burden is heavy. This is difficult. And I need the power that only comes from God. I need the strength that only comes from God. I need Jesus Christ. Belief, having faith that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And upon that, the confession, but also the understanding that God made him both Lord and Christ. Right? And upon that, this change of my mind and heart will lead to a want to obey God. So repentance, turning from doing things my way and enjoying my thoughts and being satisfied and impressed with my thoughts and humbling myself so that I'm impressed with my creator. I'm impressed with my God and his ways, and I'll give him my commitment, my 100% commitment. I'm all in today, tomorrow, and forever. And then, of course, as the scriptures teach so clearly, I want to die to my sins so that God can raise me to new life. And that's to be baptized, as the scriptures teach. And then we're saved. God adds us to his church, the body of Christ, all the saved together. And we don't go out and find some church of our choice, so to speak. Yes, we look for that local group of Christians that are striving to worship God in spirit and truth. That are practicing, that are teaching according to the New Testament pattern as it's been revealed by God. And then we live for Christ. We live for Jesus Christ. We don't live for ourselves or any other purpose that we might put before ourselves. But we trust that yes, his way is different from the world. But we grow to love that difference. And we know and trust that it's better and that it works. And we do not let Satan discourage us or pull us from the power and strength which God supplies which makes the yoke light, right? And, and the burden easy, right? So if there's anyone that needs to respond to that gospel message, please come as we stand and sing. Walking alone at eve and viewing the skies afar, bidding the darkness come.